This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, I want to open today's show by asking you a very simple question. How many times have you watched it? How many times have you watched the Quentin Byfield goal from last night? It's okay if it's like more than a dozen, because that's me. Going back to last, watching it live, and then again, and again, and again, and again, and trying to figure out, okay, what does it remind me of? Who does it remind me of? Is there a little Yager in there? Is there some Lindros in there as well? Is there some Mario in there? Notice I'm focusing mainly on big players that can move their feet. Is there some Jean Beliveau in there? Is there some Pete Mahovlich in there as well? Uh, that was spectacular last night, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, candidate for a goal of the year, certainly. Um, I don't want to say that that is like the official coming out party for Quentin Byfield. He's had a really good season so far this year. But that was one of those plant your flag moments for Quentin Byfield and the Los Angeles Kings. I want to get to the rest of the show here in a couple of minutes. But I just want to park some time at the top of the show here to talk about how great that goal was last night um, by Quentin Byfield. And to me, the reaction at the end was a fascinating one. On the one hand... He tried to, it was so weird, he tried to play it off like, oh yeah, I've been in the end zone before, no problem. But then there was a part of looking at Byfield last night where it almost seemed like he was a little bit surprised at what he was able to pull off last night. That Those moves were spectacular. And that is done by a large man with very soft hands doing things that a lot of hockey players cannot do, both with his hands and with his feet and with his focus and with his attention on scoring a goal. Like, it's a power forward move, certainly. I mean, we've seen a lot of, you know, big wingers make moves like that. Think of Cam Neely. Uh, it's someone who has very, very soft hands and delicate hands as well. You think of some of the best playmaking centers that you've ever seen who just happen to be large, and that's where I go back to Jean Beliveau, who always gets shortchanged when we talk about large men that can move their feet down the middle. There was a whole lot of everything in that goal last night, and if you haven't seen it yet, please do yourself the favor and go watch the Byfield goal from last night. That was outstanding and then you know so to give it some context think of some of the uh your favorite goals that you've ever watched like there are some of the more famous ones henderson 72 is is a big one although my favorite goal from that series was mahovlich uh, on trechiak shorthanded um at maple leaf gardens in game two um you might say any number of the pavel datsuk wizardry goals uh, that we've seen you may say the kent nielsen version of the forsberg which was done years before peter forsberg did the forsberg kent nielsen did it in 1990 against john van Beesbrook at the world championships but i digress that might be one of your favorites um think about some of your favorite goals or most dynamic goals you've ever seen and then where do you put that byfield goal Last night, it was spectacular. Uh, a couple of things I want to let you know. Justin Williams is standing by. We're going to get to him uh, in a couple of moments. Elliot is writing today. He rejoins the program tomorrow. Jonathan Davis, uh, West Coast Hockey. We will talk about that Byfield goal and the Los Angeles Kings and everything California hockey. Uh, Greg Wyshynski will stop by. It is Wednesday after all. So we, um, so we will be talking about uh, trade deadlines specifically with uh, Greg, and he's got an interesting piece at ESPN.com. I encourage you all to read it right now. Uh, and Ty Usselman will uh, stop by the program as well. Ty is a fascinating guy. Um, and as we promised a few weeks ago, to do more work with um, equipment and technology, 
Uh, you know, we talked to Pear Mars from Mars Blade the other week, and today we're going to talk to Ty from Tidan Performance Blades. We are going to talk about everything you always wanted to know about blades, whether it's sharpenings, whether it's profiles, but we're afraid to ask. So that is coming up in the second hour. Uh, in the meantime, the Florida Panthers uh, yesterday reaffirming what many of us have believed for a while now. They are the best team in the Eastern Conference and good on the Ottawa Senators for giving them a run. Uh, yesterday, Florida wins 3-2 in overtime. Uh, Brady Kachuk was a menace again. Just ask Sergei Bobrovsky. Always fun when these two teams go at it. And then there is always the underlying Kachuk versus Kachuk vibe to the entire thing. Uh, don't look now, but the sky is falling in Vancouver. Where's my fainting cap? Ouch. The Vancouver Canucks have lost three games in a row. Oh, no. Stop the press. Were we all wrong about the Vancouver Canucks? Has the clock struck midnight on the Vancouver Canucks? Uh, let's calm down. The Vancouver Canucks are a very good hockey team. You know who else has lost three games in a row this year? 31 other teams. So let's just uh, calm down, Vancouver, about losing three games in a row. You weren't going to run the table all 82 uh, and not lose three games in a row. The New York Rangers, by the way, how about that job last night against a very competitive uh, Dallas Stars team? Uh, maybe the best team in the Central facing off against the top team in the Metropolitan Division. Eight wins in a row now for the Rangers. And all of a sudden, we are starting to feel a little bit more calm about Igor Shosturkin and his performance with the New York Rangers and reaffirming that he is the number one goaltender and not Jonathan Quick. Although sometimes, like quick show of hands, who thinks the Rangers look more comfortable with Jonathan Quick in the net? Uh, it's a lot of hands up there. Anyway, Rangers 3-1 to one over the Dallas Stars. Uh, Minnesota and Winnipeg going into this one. We wondered if it would be violent, and at times it was. Uh, we saw Jacob Middleton taking Mark Scheifele into the boards hard and then being met with a uh, couple of fists from Logan Stanley. Spirited fight there. Lucini fought Nemestikov as well, as we all predicted. And at the end of it, uh, Gabe Velarde and Cal Connor with three points each in this one. Winnipeg Jets beat the Minnesota Wild by a final score of 6-3. to three. And circling back to the New York Rangers for one quick second, congratulations to Johnny Brzezinski, who's signs a two-year contract extension with the New York Rangers, uh, 787.5. So $700,000 essentially is the AAV on this one, two-year contract. But the most important thing for Johnny Brzezinski, congratulations. It is a big stepping stone in every young hockey player's career. It is a one-way contract. He's playing in the NHL or the American League. He's making that number, 787. Just shy of $800,000. Congratulations to Johnny Brzezinski. Uh, someone who's enjoyed a lot of success in the NHL, both personally and team-wise as well, with Stanley Cups, uh, is now an analyst on Rogers Monday Night Hockey. He is the great Justin Williams, and he joins me now. Justin, how are you? Uh, howdy, how are you? Uh, I am doing well. Just mentioning Johnny Brzezinski there a couple of seconds ago, and he signs a two-year extension. It's a one-way contract, so yeah. that's a big one for a lot of hockey players when you get the the one-way deal. Like, take take us inside the room. Like, when someone finally you know breaks through and, and gets the one-way contract, like, what's the vibe in the dressing room? Like, what are the how are the Rangers players treating Johnny Brzezinski now, or does he just have to pick up the tab the next time? <laughs> I don't think he's picking up the tab yet. They got plenty of guys there that can foot the bill for that one. But it is it is it's mm-hmm. actually quite quite a moment when when you're actually negotiating, I think, and and the team 
says we're willing to offer you a one-way contract. I mean, that is just uh, it's just so um, you know enlightening and 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 a, a lot of times very calming for you, knowing that your that money is guaranteed yeah. coming to you. Um, it, it, it alleviates, I would say, a lot of not only fear but um, you know it alleviates a lot of uh, distractions from you. At least you, you know most likely where you'll be playing and that you have a steady paycheck coming in. Um, it's really, really a great feeling for sure. So happy for him. Uh, absolutely. Uh, congratulations to Johnny Brzezinski of the Rangers. Speaking of the Rangers, they uh, they beat the Dallas Stars 3-1 to one last night. Igor Shosturkin with 41 saves. Uh, do you have a thought? I mean, listen, Rangers are hot right now. Like, we've seen them cold. We've wondered about the Rangers. We've wondered about Shosturkin. We've wondered about a number of players there. Uh, when you watch the Rangers, Justin, like, what pops to mind right away as you watch them now? Well, I mean, I think a lot of people, you know, us, I include myself in this now in the media world, right? You, you, you really, um, you know, overvalue teams that are doing unbelievable. And then a lot of times you can undervalue the teams that are struggling a little bit, right? I mean, Vancouver's in their first little, um, you know, malaise of the year. And then, you know, the Rangers were in one a couple of weeks ago and now all of a sudden they've won a bunch in a row and we're like, wow, they're great again. You know, it's, it's, it goes, uh, you know, one way or the other, but I guess to answer your question is, is they've always been a very, very talented team. I mean, you, a very, very scary team. When you look at them on paper, you, you see the talent that, uh, that they can send out at any shift. And, um, you know, they've got first overall picks playing on the third line. And, um, you know, they've got a very, very talented team. Um, and, you know, the thing that's, um, that's, that's really interesting about them is their goaltending situation. Like, the fact the matter of the Jonathan Quick playing at the level that he is 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 awesome for see awesome to see for for me obviously as his friend and and you know number two obviously for the New York Rangers having that kind of uh, one two punch is is pretty um, is pretty formidable and knowing that you're going to the playoffs um, with a decided advantage I would think against. Uh, pretty much any team that you come up against. I mean, that's a great feeling as a team going into uh, uh, any game you play. Yeah. Let me let me drill down a little bit more on, on Jonathan Quick there. I know the story in New York right now is Joe Shosturkin grabbing the reins again. I mean, he was, you know, he kind of got lit a little bit at the uh, the stadium series game against the Islanders on Sunday. But nonetheless, that was a really wonderful performance by Shosturkin last night. So as much as that is the goaltending story right now, I mean, you know Jonathan Quick better than anybody, you know, on this show right now or listening or, or watching this program right now. Uh, I still think back to that Jonathan Quick of 2012 when he was the best goalie on the planet, period. Uh, he was incredible. Like, take us back to L.A. Kings, Jonathan Quick, and did you think that he still had this in him? I mean, he's 38 years old. We all wondered when the Rangers picked him up, like, uh, okay, I guess we'll see what happens with Jonathan Quick. But, you know, you played with him. Uh, he's a friend of yours. What do you think we should know about Jonathan Quick? Well, I, I think first off, uh, you know, the first part of your question there, I think it's just, it's so important to have internal competition uh, within your team. You have to have it for, for everybody to get pushed and to get better. And um, Shesterkin has someone to push him, like really, really push him. And, and that's going to essentially just make him, uh, you know, more aware and, 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 
um, improve, I, I think. And, and the battle maybe just that tiny little bit harder because he's got someone pushing him from the back. And um, that goes for every position. Um, you know, you're cheering for your teammates, but at the same time, um, you want to compete against them. You want to do better than them. You want to yeah. um, compete. Yeah. And that internal competition is really important. So I think they're obviously in, in a really good spot there. But, um, you know, Jonathan Quick, I am not surprised kind of by what he's doing. I, I know a lot of people would say, I'd be like, well, why didn't you guys grab him? Um, you know, I, <laughs> I'm not surprised because he's one of the most athletic guys I've, I've ever seen. And um, on top of that, um, he's one of the more competitive guys I've ever seen too. And uh, when you shoot on a guy, uh, regardless of practice or warming up for a game, um, a guy who gets so visibly upset and um, sometimes angry at you if you score on him um, is a guy who's just going to um, never take a day off and, and always find, um, mm. you know, that inner belief in himself that he can do anything. And, um, I, I'm happy with how he's doing, and, and obviously being uh, a New York guy and being a Mike Richter fan as he was growing up, um, you know, you can really see there's that extra added incentive for him to um, do uh, really, really well in New York, and he's doing that right now. Was there a team that you always wished you had played for? I, I'm always curious about this. I remember asking Brad May about this, and he said, "Oh, I, I always wanted to. See, I always wanted to play with the Boston Bruins. Never got a chance to play with the Boston Bruins." Justin Williams, is there a team that you always wanted to play for? Maybe you grew up cheering for them, liking them. Is there one team that you say to yourself, "Man, if I could only have negotiated or maneuvered my way there, what would that team be?" Uh, I was on a. I mean, I was on a lot of teams who were really, really good. So I'm not going to say I wanted to go anywhere. But when I was growing up, I was a Montreal Canadiens fan. I mean, I was 10, 11 years old when they were winning in, in 1993. And um, when my draft year was coming, they actually had two picks in the first round. And I was they were a lot higher than I was projected. But I always hoped. I said, well, maybe you hope I can play for the for the Canadians one day. Um, but I think looking back at my at, at my career, I definitely don't have any regrets. Um, but if there was one sure. thing I maybe could have changed, it'd, it'd be like yeah, I would have loved to have played it for a Canadian team <laughs> at one point, and I never never got that. Um, but certainly, uh, I'm not looking back with any regret. How many guys do you think just shy away from you know? I don't want to say spotlights. I think. By the time you get to the NHL, like you want the spotlight because you're the you're, you're the best player amongst your peers growing up. But um, just because of all the all the sideshows that come along with playing uh, for a Canadian teams, how many guys do you think deliberately shy away from that and say, you know what, eh, I want my life to be a little bit quieter? I don't think I don't think there's a lot, but I do think there's some. Right? Um, there's some guys that uh, yeah. are just a little too vain in the fact that they care what everyone else thinks about them. Right. And, and that's, um, that's an issue you just have to deal with as being a professional athlete. There's going to be people that love you. There's going to be people that hate you. And it's, it's sure. the people that love you might hate you on a different day. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> um, the moment you start, you know, scrolling your Twitter and, 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 you know, Instagram for bad messages after you uh, played well or after you played poorly, and the same thing, you played well. I want to see all the great things people are saying about me. That's just, that's just, that's that's awful noise that you just don't need. You go out, you do your thing, you you trust in your craft, you, um, you know, assume that that what you're putting out there is going to be good enough, 
and and you just play. But I do think there are people and players who have shied away from that because they, um, you know, are are either scared or or um, you know a little bit insecure about it. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's unhealthy both ways. I think to, to look for what people are writing negatively about you or just look for pats on the back, I think both ways are, are really unhealthy uh, for anybody in any profession. Media, for, for, for no that doubt. matter. We get criticized as much as no anybody doubt. else. I think it's really unhealthy to go searching it out either way. Um, let me, yeah, I, I started the show off by talking show. about Believe Quentin, it or not, Quentin. there's some people who hate your show. Oh, right? trust me. <laughs> oh, there are, and I hear from them regularly. But you know what? I'll tell you what. So I got some interesting... I'm having a conversation. I'm glad we got on this one here. Let me just soapbox this for a second. So years and years yeah. ago, this was a yoga instructor that told me this, Justin. So I was talking to this uh, yoga instructor friend of mine, and she's like one of these people that you just hate because you can just tell she has her whole life together. She's in great shape, and her mind is clear and really concise and educated and smart and healthy. And like, how dare you be so perfect in front of me? And we were having a conversation <laughs> about criticism once, and she said... And I'll never forget this. She said, well, the one thing that you're going to have to understand in your life, because you're going to get criticized, and especially if you're media, you've chosen to stick your head up above, you know, the fray. So you got to expect people are going to throw a rock. She said this, and I've never forgotten about this. She said, in your life, you're going to meet people who love you, and you're going to meet people who hate you. And the main thing that you have to remember and realize that none of it has anything to do with you. That's just where they are at that point in their life, and that's how they're processing their life. That's it. You just happen to be standing there, but it really has nothing to do with you. That's just where they're at. And I've never forgotten that, whether it's praise or criticism. I've never, ever forgotten it. Now, having said that, man, I heaped a lot of praise on Quentin Byfield to start this show, and I'm not going to stop because that goal last (laughs) night, holy smokes, like... The interesting thing about it was, like, I, and I've watched this goal so many times. There's a little Matt Sundin in there. There's a little Eric Lindros in there. There's a little Kent Nielsen in there. There's a little Jean Beliveau in there. There's a little Yarmer Yager in there. Uh, I'm not sure if you had a chance to watch Kopita or the um, uh, Quinn Byfield's goal last night. But if so, like, what goes through your mind when you see a young guy that big, that skilled, that focused, having the puck on his stick and in his feet and having the, the, the wherewithal to put it all together and snap it past the goaltender the way that Byfield did last night? Anything jump out specifically to you? I think the elevation he was able to get on the puck late, right, right while falling down was, was really impressive. Because if he, if he yeah. just kind of flops it on that, then we're not really talking about this. We're talking about this, you know, nice move that he walked the defenseman and didn't score. Um, but the second yeah. part of it that I really loved is that was the defense's own face-off, right? Yes. And six seconds later, that puck is in the net on the other side. I mean, he was shot out of a cannon from that face-off dot. And that just means to me, yeah. like, if I'm looking at that as a coach, like, that guy is ready off of the hop. Like, he's not looking around, seeing who's in the stands or... Like, he is focused on what yeah. his job is, and he was jumping right off the hop. And uh, there's so many guys with so much skill, and I know a lot of a lot is expected of him in L.A., and that flash of brilliance is going to go a long way for him for sure. 
You know, what is it about for, for you? And maybe the answer is, you know, the size. I mean, the, the skating is the skating. And, you know, kudos to, to Barb Underhill. She's done a, a marvelous job and put a good on Quentin Byfield for putting in the work as well. Um, but, like, what is it about someone like Byfield that is, like, so seductive? Because, you know, we live in a, in a, in a world right now in hockey where whether I go to, like, a CHL-NHL top prospects game or I watch an NHL game or I go to watch the American League, the first thing that strikes me is where did all the bad skaters go? Like, there used to be all these guys that couldn't skate. Where did they all go? There's Everyone can skate. Everyone can shoot. Uh, everybody has skills. What is it extra that you see in Quentin Byfield? Well, I think everybody has those talents that you just mentioned. Like, it seems like everybody can skate fast. Everybody's strong. Everybody's got a hard shot. Everybody yeah. passes the puck hard, yep. right? Um, and the stuff that sets it apart is the mental stuff, right? It always comes back to, can you play? Uh, you know, can you play? Can you do it when someone's in your face? Can you do it okay, while someone's just, just about to hit you? And that's true mm-hmm. for any sport, right? I mean, like you, go into a, you go into the driving range and you, there's no names next to everybody and everybody's hitting the ball. You don't know who's good and who's not. Everybody pures the ball, you know? Everybody throws a great spiral, mm-hmm. but... You know, can you do it when there's a 300-pound defensive end coming at you, you know, or, or a linebacker coming at you, excuse me. So uh, for hockey, it's the same thing, right? Everybody at this level, I feel, is, is has all the talents and all the tools, and what sets you apart is, is your mind, and, and, and can you play, and can you do it under pressure, and can you do it when it counts? And, and, and Quinn's a young player, um, and, and, you know, flashes of that, um, as I said, really, really go a long way for his, uh, for his productivity, uh, but for his confidence as well, mm-hmm. um, just to kind of take that next step to, to being just just a player, to being a good player, and then from a good player to being a star. And I think that's what they're looking for there in, in, in Los Angeles. Uh, Winnipeg Jets in the Minnesota Wild last night. Uh, so Winnipeg doubles up Minnesota six to three. This you know Minnesota Wild coming off that wild game against the the Vancouver Canucks. I don't even I don't think anyone knows what to, what to make of that one. You score seven goals, you should probably win a hockey game unless you surrender ten. Uh, as Rick Tockett would be uh, quick to point out. Um, actually, before I get to the, the Minnesota page here with you, uh, you mentioned off the top a little speed wobble by the Vancouver Canucks. I don't think anyone's feeling sorry for Vancouver, considering how the season has gone for the Vancouver Canucks. Oh, you've hit a three-game losing streak for the first time this season. Welcome to the NHL, because everybody else in the league has had at least a three-game losing streak as well. Uh, Justin Williams, where are you at on the Vancouver Canucks right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm still I'm still pretty bullish on them. I think they're a really, really uh, talented team depth-wise. Um, all four lines really have uh, talent. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, against some teams, you might be able to turn the puck over against the third or fourth line, and they might not hurt you. But I feel like the Vancouver Canucks, they can hurt you on every line. And, you know, now that they're in, you know, mired in a big three-game losing streak whoop-de-doo um it's it's very important <laughs> that and i know talk is on this i, I know he is, is is to fix your faults while For you're sure. winning and that's one of the most important things you can do is is don't be satisfied with winning a game how did you win and if you're not winning the way you want to make sure you rectify it because when that catches up to you and you start losing those games that's when stuff can snowball into something bad and um, they got really good leadership there, and and I expect Taka's doing that right now. 
Congratulations there, by the way, to Archdeep Baines, who makes his uh, NHL debut, never drafted in the Western League, went through a couple of NHL drafts as well. Uh, I think we're all in love with the the undrafted player uh, who finally claws and scratches his way and, and makes it to the NHL. So congratulations uh, to Baines on that one uh, for getting to that game against the Colorado Avalanche last night. Uh, a couple of growing pain moments, certainly, but when you're playing against a team that has Nathan McKinnon, that is going to happen. Um, just uh, how many times, this is going to sound negative. I'm trying to take a, to take a positive story here, Justin, and turn it into a negative thing. Uh, I'm sure you've seen this countless times. Like for Archdeep Baines, this has worked out great. He got to play. If it all is over tomorrow, he got to say he made it to the NHL. He played one game in the NHL. But I'm curious about this because that's a successful story. How many times have you seen the player who didn't get drafted in junior, didn't get drafted in the NHL, keeps on doing it, keeps on playing, and you know that as much as they may want it, the NHL is never going to happen for them. We focus on the positive ones because those are the ones that we see. We see Archdeep Baines making it to the NHL. How many times have you seen other players where you just want to say, oh, man, I know you love it and I know you really want to do it, but it's just not going to be there for you? Yeah, there's, there's, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, whatever whatever way you look at it, I mean, there's a lot of people who want to play professional hockey and play in the NHL, right? <laughs> there are. And yeah. there's a ton of people who work their tails off their whole lives and are just not able to attain it, right? So that's what makes it so special when yeah. you get there. And, you know, I think human nature, I think we're all enamored with, with an underdog story, with a guy who's had to battle through yep. Um, with a guy who's had a chip on his shoulder, you know, his whole career saying, I'm better than you, I'm better than you, I'm going to show you. And then him finally making it is, is, you know, the stuff Disney movies are made of, right? Just, you, know, you work your tail yeah. off, and then eventually at the end of the road, it pays off. So, listen, it's, it's, it doesn't happen all the time, but, you know, the fact that it can happen drives a lot of kids uh, to potentially you know, live that story and, and you never, ever want to take that away from anybody. That's for sure. And there's always hockey to play somewhere. Um, Justin, we're out of time. Thanks uh, so much as always for stopping by. I really appreciate it. Um, enjoy the rest of your day. And I don't know what your over under on is on uh, how many times we should all watch that Quentin Byfield goal. But uh, if anyone hasn't seen it yet, uh, do yourself a favor and uh, watch that one. The opening goal last night against the Blue Jackets. Uh, Justin, thanks so much for stopping by. Continued success on Monday nights. Yeah, you bet. It. And you know how there's a guy, a lot of people hate your show. I love your show. So you keep it up. <laughs> you read you read that just like I wrote it. Thanks, Justin. That was perfect. You, wrote, you read that perfectly. I love it. I love it. Great job. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. There's Justin Williams, uh, Consmite Trophy winner, Stanley Cup champion. Now you can watch on Monday nights as part of Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Headlined, of course, as always, by David Amber. Uh, coming up on today's program, Greg, Greg Wyshynski checks in uh, in Hour 2 from ESPN.com. Uh, we'll talk about all things skates and all things blades and all things sharpenings and all things profilings with Ty Oselman uh, from Ty Dan, uh, who is it's a, it's a wonderful shop, and he's a really interesting guy. Uh, as well. Um, The website is tidanblades.ca, Tidan Performance Blades, and our ongoing attempt to keep talking about 
hockey geek stuff, I'll just be honest, whether it's skates, any other type of uh, equipment or sticks or visors, uh, finding the minutiae about equipment and talking about it here on the program. We will continue with Ty coming up in hour two. In the meantime, Jonathan Davis stops by. We'll pick up the conversation about the LA Kings. We should probably park some time as well to talk about the Seattles of the world and the Anaheims of the world. San Jose has got to be part of that equation as well. West Coast Hockey Time with Jonathan Davis. Um, he checks in in a couple of moments. Greg Wyshynski kicking off hour two. Elliot returns, by the way, tomorrow. Uh, Wednesday is a writing day for Freed, so look forward to his blog. Um, in the meantime, a couple of things from last night we should probably pull out. Uh, mentioned the Rangers over the Stars, and Shosturkin uh, was great in that one. Uh, tough one for the Pittsburgh Penguins last night. They lose 5-4 to the New York Islanders. And yes, we're all wondering about decision time for the Penguins and Jake Gensel, decision time for Kyle Dubas. There was the uh, late game comeback by the Pittsburgh Penguins and you thought maybe, just maybe, uh, but they end up losing that one in overtime 5-4 to the New York Islanders. Don't look now, but Alexander Ovechkin continues to score goals. Uh, two more of them last night as the Washington Capitals defeat the New Jersey Devils. Although, in the spirit of how great was that Quinton Byfield goal. Have a look at the Connor McMichael goal as well. That was a silky, silky play by uh, Connor McMichael, the former London Knight. Uh, I mentioned the Jets uh, doubling up the Minnesota Wild 6-3. A little bit of nastiness in that one. It was tough watching Shifley go into the boards with Middleton last night like that, wasn't it? That was... Ugh, that was cringe. That was cross your fingers uh, that uh, that double nickels gets up. And thankfully, Shifley was fine uh, and able to come back. But that one did not look good. Uh, again, the Vancouver Canucks drop one three to one uh, at the hands of the Colorado Avalanche. So they've now lost. Oh my goodness! Three games in a row. Los Angeles Kings five one over the Columbus Blue Jackets and the Preds beat the Vegas Golden Knights five three. Now the big story in that one. Um, Mark Stone uh, collides with Yakov Trenin. And if you know anything about Yakov Trenin, he is the opposite of small. As Brian Burke might say, he has a part-time job as a wall. That is a large human being, Yakov Trenin of the Nashville Predators. Uh, Mark Stone left the game. No update on the injury there. As we all know, the uh, Vegas Golden Knights have been, you know, dinged with injuries this season. Uh, um, We just saw uh, uh, Theodore come back last night uh, for the first time. And also Jack Eichel is uh, still not in the lineup for the Vegas Golden Knights. So Shea Theodore returns, but Mark Stone exits. How bad is it? We still don't know. We'll uh, wait to find out the answer there. Jonathan Davis on all things West Coast hockey here coming up in a couple of moments. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360, and wherever you get your podcasts. Back in a moment. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. So just uh, chiming in here, my buddy Mike Agello submits Gilbert Perot goals, plural. That's true. Now, that was part of the conversation that I was having both with Justin Williams and myself, and by extension you, either listening or watching, about the Quinton Byfield goal last night. Shades of Yager. Sounds like I'm describing a fine wine, right? Mm, uh, Curious, yet well-behaved. 
uh, Shades of Yager in that one. There was some Bellavos certainly in there. There was some Mahavlich 72 uh, in that one as well. There was some, uh, some Mario in, uh, in that, some Lindros. Uh, in that one as well let's get uh let's get our man john davis and get his thoughts on what we saw last night from quinton byfield specifically and if there's any other players who maybe peter forsberg a little bit of that dash of matt sundin in that goal as well uh jd when you when you look at that byfield goal last night i want to blow this up and talk about the la kings in general so people don't think i'm doing a full two-hour show on one goal although i would love to do it like (laughs) who comes to mind like you're watching this goal like this is shades of who or which combinations of of hockey players because there's a lot of different hockey players you see in that one goal i yeah i mean for me it would be like the power of lemieux it would be the skill and finesse of forsberg but jeff as i tweeted as i text you last night after the goal that was barb underhill gets a lot of credit for that i mean yeah i feel a year ago doesn't big score time. that goal and and the work that he has done on his with his skating under her tutelage wow it, it, he has become such a different hockey player along with the fact that about a year and a half ago the la kings had him go to a much longer stick yeah no that that's um like again like i, I keep trying not to be that guy jd but I, I'll, I'll be that guy like he looks like when i saw the goal last night that's it's like i said to myself that's the guy I used to watch playing for the York Simcoe Express in the OMHA. Like, just the way that he would go to the net hard, do whatever he wanted to do. It doesn't matter whether the puck's in his skates or he has one hand on the stick or he's in tight or he has space or whatever. Like, that's the byfield um, that I that I watched uh, for a couple of years uh, in OMHA, just like completely dominating. You mentioned Underhill. You mentioned the stick. Like, what else has gone into turning Byfield from that, you know, that raw hockey player, the Los Angeles Kings drafted second overall after Alexi Lafreniere until into the guy that we've seen this season. And specifically last night against the blue jackets. And by the way, that wasn't a nobody defenseman that he danced. That's Zach Borensky. Okay. So it wasn't as if that was like a third pairing D that he was dancing out there. Like that's a, that's a legit defenseman. Anyway, uh, how did we go from a to B here to C to D to E on Byfield? Well, I think health has also been a factor. I mean, you know, when he came, you know, he got hurt early on and, uh, you know, he was dealing with what I think was an ankle injury. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it took him time and then there's confidence. But, you know, look, again, I think the first thing that changed his game was the longer stick. I remember watching him play down with the Ontario Reign. And this is a guy that was getting pushed around way too much for a guy with his size. It just shouldn't it shouldn't have been happening. And so. Finally, when yeah. the L.A. Kings or, you know, front office, I think, you know, partly the management team just that was one of the, that was the first change that they made. Uh, and so mm-hmm. now you're watching the transformation. And and look, Jeff, we've had many conversations about, you know, should they have taken Tim Stutzla ahead of Byfield? It sure seemed that way early mm-hmm. on. But you got to give this guy a tremendous amount of credit. And, you know, the other thing that we're seeing is now that he is playing on a line with Pierre-Luc Dubois, it's not Dubois, the center that's driving the line. It's Quinton Byfield. And that, to me, is also very impressive. Uh, apologies for the audio drop. We're back on and back on with uh, with Jonathan Davis. J.D., you still there with me? I'm still with you there, Jeff. Okay, so we're sort of opining on uh, on Quinton Byfield and the work of Barb Underhill. And you were mentioning, you know, all the work that they did with... Uh, Getting him to use uh, an appropriately length hockey stick. I mean, that's the first thing you notice about Byfield then and 
and Byfield now with the Los Angeles Kings, uh, the hunch is gone. Uh, the humpback of the Los Angeles Kings mm-hmm. is gone. Like all of a sudden he's, you know, chest high again uh, and, and playing more of a traditional a traditional way. Um, for Before we, the audio cut out there, we were having the discussion about, you know, should they have taken Tim Stutzla second overall? And I always go back. I always go back to something that Steve Eiserman said coming out of the lockout of 0405. Well, this is when, you know, there's a crackdown on obstruction and, you know, you couldn't hold guys up for a fly zone NHL. And I thought Eisenman made a great point. He said, hold on a second here. So you're telling me, because at the time we thought, okay, this is going to be a great environment for small, speedy players. Oh, it's going to be the small, speedy NHL. And Eisenman said, this is great for big guys. This is great for big guys that can move their feet. So you're telling me that if I'm a big hockey player and I can move my feet, I get a free pass to the front of the nets and I'm not getting chopped and whacked and held up. He goes, I'll fill my team. Essentially, I'm paraphrasing. This is great for big hockey players. Sure, it opens the door for smaller guys, but it's really great for big guys. And Quinton Byfield fits that mix to a T or that description rather. 100%. And, but you know, we, we didn't, we didn't see that early on and, you know, part partially, I guess you can go back and you can say, okay, he was dealing with injuries, but look, he has made adjustments and and that's the key. He has made adjustments to his game. And, and now, now we're seeing why he, he is the guy that was taken second overall. As I said, you know, the, one of the more impressive things to me, Jeff, is that, you know, I, I was surprised when they moved him off the Kopitar line but here he is playing with Dubois, yeah. and I think it's helped out Pierre-Luc Dubois. And again, he is the driver of that line. It's become, it, it's made Dubois so much better. It hasn't made Byfield better. He's already been good. You know, now we're starting to see mm-hmm. Pierre-Luc Dubois score goals. And he had a pair last night. And, you know, to, to blow this entire discussion up a little bit more and sort of, you know, have a have a more of a zoom on it. Um, what does this mean now for the Los Angeles Kings? All of a sudden, the Los Angeles Kings have won four games in a row. Uh, they've stopped the bleeding. Uh, it seems as if, you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois, who did have like one very significant brain cramp Saturday against the Boston Bruins, where he just left his assignment out in front of the net and it cost the Los Angeles Kings. Um, like, what does this mean now? Like the sort of emergence of Quentin Byfield that he doesn't need to have, you know, Kopitar and Kempe holding his hand on the first line. He can play up and down the lineup. What does yeah. that afford Jim Hiller? What does that afford the Los Angeles Kings? Well, it, it definitely, you know, spreads the lineup up and down. Now they lost Victor Arvidsson last night and we'll see, you know, if yeah, that's going to that. be a lengthy injury. And that that's, that's a tough blow for this team. But, you know, when I look back at what's gone on during the, this win streak here, you know, even the Boston game, Jeff, as I was watching and they're trailing 3-1, and even when they were quickly, you know, after they tied it and went down 4-3, I thought they were the better team. And even down 3-1, I thought it'd be a moral victory. We're seeing a team that just looks more yeah. relaxed. And Jim Hiller, you know, has talked about, let's have fun again. That's what he said after the first game. It's all about having fun. There seems to be a trust factor amongst the players that, that we didn't see before. And the other thing I will give Jim Hiller credit for, Jeff, is the fact that he is also, you know, not only has he moved Byfield around, he's moved Kevin Fiala around. We're seeing the lines have been juggled. And that's something that Todd McClellan mm. was not doing. Uh, you know, so I, I, I like the fact that he's experimenting. And I think I'm trying to remember the quote that I had sent you. You know, if we keep doing the, the same things over and over again, we'll, we'll get to where we want to. And, uh, 
you know, that's mm -hmm. it, it's a different team. I don't think that they're playing the same way that they did at the beginning of the year when they were just swarming you. They just look more relaxed. And the fact that they could look, they only had two come from behind victories when trailing after 40 minutes coming into this past weekend. They got two come from behind victories this weekend. Let me ask you about Brant Clark um, and specifically that goal on Saturday. So it's impressive. He's coming out of the box, shot out of the cannon, gets the pass. Uh, he put his team down. He better do something here. What impresses me so much about this kid, and he's still a kid, is his confidence is sky high. So he's got the puck on his stick. Breakaway on Linus Ulmark. Okay, Vesna Trophy, Linus Ulmark. He literally has the puck right in front of Ulmark's blade. That's how tight he gets in on the goaltender before he makes his move. I don't know how you want to look at it. Ulmark misplays it. Allmark too scared to poke check. I don't know, but he put the, he brought that puck right up to Allmark's stick, and then made his move to his right before tucking it away for the overtime victory for the Los Angeles Kings. That to me, a lot of younger kids will will shoot it before they get there. Want to make their move. Don't want to get in too tight on the goaltender. That guy's confidence is sky high. JD, what do you make of Brent Clark in LA? Confidence is the word, Jeff. You know, look, when he first was called up here, it was, one, you know, one game in, two games out, one game in. The confidence wasn't there. He yeah. looked very tentative on the ice. That goal was a goal where his skills take over. Uh, he looks like a much more yeah. confident player now that he's been given a run under Jim Hiller. Unfortunately for Jordan Spence, who does not deserve to be sitting, there's just not enough room. But yeah. it, it's, it's opened up the door for Brant Clark. And this is why... You know, the L.A. Kings drafted him where they did. He is a highly skilled player, and now he's been given a run. And, yes, it's confidence. When when you're in there every game and you're not worried about coming out of the lineup, it just allows, you know, you've got an opportunity for your skills to take over when given the opportunity. I mean, Jeff, as you said, you know, he took the penalty just before the goal. He looked devastated in the penalty box. But, oh, my God, I mean, oh, yeah. how things turned around emotionally for him. Uh, scoring that that, mm -hmm. that that goal and his first NHL goal. What a beauty it was for Brant Clark. Hey, should we be talking about Matt Roy in advance of trade deadline? Well, I mean, look, he's an impending UFA, but, you know, I think you and Elliot re referenced it either on the pod or maybe it was on, on, on the show on Monday. I mean, if you're LA, I, I don't think right now you, you, you just have to go with him. I, I don't think you can make that move right now because... Uh, you're in that go for it mode. If they were the team that was, you know, losing 17 out of 20, I would say, yes, think about trading Matt Roy. But right now, I, mm. I don't think you can make that move. He's too valuable to this roster. And you'll figure out what happens at the end of next, you know, at the end of the season. And, you know, he's likely gone. I don't think they can afford to keep him. But for now, yeah, as long as you're on this run, I don't, I don't think there's an option. You have to keep Matt Roy. Does does Rob Blake make a move for a goalie here? Well, I mean, look, when we talked, you know, a week or so ago, I would have said, you know, we were throwing up the names of Adrian Kempe for UC Soros. We talked about Matt Roy. The yeah. biggest problem that Rob Blake has is that to make a significant yeah. upgrade, you know, it, it's dollar in, dollar out. So, you, you know, just to say, do you make a trade for a goalie? I, I just don't know, unless they're prepared to move either Matt Roy 
or Adrian Kempe, or they can get extremely creative with a third team getting involved. I just don't know financially mm-hmm. how they can make it happen. Uh, real quick, off the Los Angeles Kings page, uh, Mark Stone with the injury last night. We'll cross our fingers and hope that it's not too bad for the Vegas Golden Knights uh, winger. Uh, injuries have been a thing. Theodore comes back last night. Jack Eichel is still out. However, uh, I still think that Kelly McCrimmon makes one move that we look at and say, well, that's okay, I suppose. And it turns into maybe the best move of the entire trade deadline. See Barbashev, comma, Ivan. Uh, what do you make of the Vegas Golden Knights? Yeah, I, look, you know, Kelly McCrimmon and Jim Rutherford are cut from the same cloth. They will always make a deal to improve their team. So it, it's not going to shock me yeah. to see them make a move. Yeah, look, there's something going on in Vegas that, you know, it's not just losing three in a row. I mean, they they were flat last night against Nashville. But the two games yep. prior, you know, you're, you're going into the third period tied, you know, against Minnesota – and then, uh, oh my God, I'm, I'm blanking out uh, on the next one. Uh, you know, you they, they don't lose those games traditionally, and so I think that's the disturbing mm-hmm. part. I mean, it's been a weird year for Vegas. I, I you know, they they've stepped up in a lot of big games. Uh, you know, they they kind of look like a team that knows that they're going to get themselves to the playoffs. But uh, I, I just don't like you know the way they lost the the two prior games and and even the game against Nashville, who. Well, I guess Nashville said to Barry Trotz, you know, we should have gone to the sphere and uh, they took it out on the Vegas Golden Knights. <laughs> uh, the, the night previous was a 4 nothing win over the San Jose Sharks. The two losses are Carolina and Minnesota. Uh, I believe yeah. those are the two that you're, uh, that you're referring to. Uh, listen, JD, always great to catch up. Uh, love it. Apologies for the, uh, the audio issues halfway through our conversation. Uh, but uh, we quickly rectified those uh, courtesy of our man Lance back at Master Control. Thanks as always, JD. You be good, pal. All right, you too, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. The great Jonathan Davis, West Coast Hockey. Um, man, that guy's got his wrap down with the uh, with the Los Angeles Kings as well. That's going to be an intriguing team to follow here. Now, maybe they've turned the ship around. Like I don't know if they're the same Los Angeles Kings team that we saw at the beginning of the season where we were saying things like, hmm, I think Eric Engels might have been right, and the Los Angeles Kings really might just win the Stanley Cup. They were looking that good. And then the speed wobble. What was it? Losers of 14 of 16, or was it 15 of 17? It was somewhere uh, in that range, and a coaching change came along with it. Now you see Jim Hiller and DJ Smith behind the bench for L.A. Okay. Uh, time now for line change presented by sports interaction, your homegrown sports book bet local today's matchup on line change Bruins and the Oilers Oilers minus one and a half. The total has gone under an eight of Boston's last 11 games, Boston one and four straight up in their last five Edmonton eight and oh straight up in their last eight games at home. The total has gone under in five of Edmonton's last five games when playing at home against Boston. The total has gone over in five of Edmonton's last six games. And we look at this one, and yes, uh, you can point out the obvious. This might end up being a Stanley Cup final. Uh, We'll see what happens. I think the Oilers still have a couple of moves to make. I think one defenseman and at least one forward. Uh, for them, Edmonton is, uh, we think, you know, very much decided that uh, they don't have the depth to match up against maybe teams like, oh, I don't know, the Vegas Golden Knights, the Colorado Avalanche, the Dallas Stars, maybe even the Winnipeg Jets. So look for them to do some things there. And the Boston Bruins will be an intriguing team as well. Right now, they're kind of grooving, aren't they? But with Noah Hannafin hitting the market, I don't know what it would take 
or how much they would have to give, but I would have to think that there is some significant interest in Boston for Noah Hannafin. We'll see where he ends up heading uh, by the by the March 8th trade deadline. Uh, that's Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook bet local. That should be a great game tonight, Bruins and the Oilers. We've got a lot of great things to talk about here with Greg Wyshynski as it relates to trade deadline. Names we expect, and maybe a couple of surprises as well from uh, ESPN and ESPN.com and The Drop. A good friend, Greg Wyshynski, MVSW time again on the Merrick Show across the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Back in a moment. Most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, welcome back to the program. Very much looking forward to this conversation with uh, Ty Usselman of uh, Titan Blades. Uh, you know, if you know anything about me, I am fascinated with the minutia of equipment. Uh, yesterday, talking about uh, stick blades with Adam Oates. Um, you got to get a flat heel. You got to have a toe curve. Like, I'm in love with all these types of conversations, as I am about things like hollows and profiles and one of my favorite follows on instagram titan blades uh titan performance blades uh, player and goalie profiles hollows engraving and custom blades it's a great small business hockey story ty joins me uh on the program now ty how are you today you're you're, you're checking in from your shop in dundas i believe that's right jeff yeah thanks for having me today uh, the, the pleasure is all mine. So f- first of all, give me a, give me the, the, the five cent tour, the, the nickel tour. What is Titan Performance Blades? Yeah, Titan Performance Blades is a company that my dad and I started back uh, probably 10 plus years ago now. Uh, we actually manufactured blades for a little bit, but more recently we reshifted our focus just to the service side of blades. So profiling, sharpening and engraving skate blades using the SkateScribe machine that is behind me today, which is the first ever digitalized CNC machine for profiling skate blades with an accuracy of one one thousandth of a millimeter. It does, you know, absolutely amazing work um, and results that are, are really, quite honestly, unmatched. You know, I, I want to get to sort of, you know, why profiling is important, uh, teams mm-hmm. that you work with in the NHL, athletes that you work with um, uh, as well. But what, did, did you find like, I'm always curious about, you know, the, the small business entrepreneurial spirit here. Like, did you find like a hole in the marketplace somewhere? Because you've been able to carve out a really nice, you and your dad have been able to carve out a really nice spot for yourselves in hockey. Yeah, you know, it was a lot of fun. We were able to uh, manufacture our own blades a little bit and my dad had, you know, at the time, 25 plus years of manufacturing industrial blades. We kind of took that information and applied it to manufacturing mm-hmm. skate blades, where, you know, working with some local pro players like Ryan Ellis, uh, Sam Gagne, guys like that, uh, they helped us break into mm-hmm. the NHL um, and, you know, got their teams and some of their teammates using our blades. But, um, you know, developing good relationships with the players, with teams and equipment managers through that process. Uh, allowed us to kind of keep working with them as we stopped manufacturing blades and focused more so on the the profiling and the engraving side and service of things. 
It, you know, more so than ever, Ty, um, right now players are like, every, I, was, I was saying this earlier on the show, like there are no more bad skaters. Like everybody get to the NHL, everybody can skate. Like everything mm-hmm. you hear, like everyone has to have a skating instructor. Everyone's on the ice all the time. And the tiniest little little advantage anyone can get with their blades, they'll, they'll take it. Um, let, let me jump in on, on profiling specifically. Uh, you know, I grew up, I never profiled my blades as a kid. Now, I was a goaltender, and then after that was done, I just went on to become a, a beer league defenseman. But why now more so than ever is it crucial for people to have their blades profiled? And for those that don't know, listening or watching, what does profiling a blade mean? Uh, well, first of all, profiling a blade is just, it's simply just changing the shape or the geometry of the blade. So applying a more appropriate amount of blade to ice contact uh, to maximize your speed, your stability, acceleration, and your agility while skating. Uh, today, because mm-hmm. you know all blades are kind of mass produced, quality control kind of is minimized for most parts. So we actually see it quite often where two blades within the same pair are actually different from one another. So the analogy that we often give is going for really? a run with a running shoe on and a flip flop on, right? You can certainly do it, mm. but there's no question that you're leaving performance on the table, but also whatever side has the flip-flop on is going to be compensating for that change. So that's obviously kind of an exaggeration, but it's very similar to skating on Mm. a non-profiled pair of blades, especially when they're that vastly different from uh, each other, which is becoming more and more common. So profiling first and foremost is gonna make sure both blades are exactly the same, uh, especially with the skate scribe machine. It'll be within one one thousandth of a millimeter but then applying a more appropriate mm-hmm. amount of blade to ice contact based on your size, your skill level, uh, and your playing style as well. Uh, is that sort of industry standard now, whether it's NHL, American League, junior hockey, college, university, um, most are using uh, the SkateScribe technology? Uh, so SkateScribe is, is a startup company. It's you know only a couple of years into its uh, adventure, if you will. Uh, so there is, mm-hmm. you know, quite a few NHL teams, quite a few NHL players that are using it. Um, I know the Seattle Kraken, they have a machine in their locker room. The Flyers just committed to a machine as well. And we hope uh, a few others jump on board uh, throughout the offseason and into the summer here. Uh, but also at Tide we we service quite a large number of NHL teams and players as well. So all the work that comes through our shop here is also done on, uh, on the SkateScribe machine. So 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 how would describe how that will work then? Like pick an NHL team that you work with. Like are you being sent, you know, sort of bags of blades every day to 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 work on from from all the players in the organization? Yeah, exactly. So uh, for example, a team like New Jersey, they would get their order from, you know, whatever steel supplier they use, package it up and and they ship it to us, uh, and then, you know, they send us kind of an Excel spreadsheet with all the player specifications. Uh, we'll engrave the you know the devil's mm-hmm. logo, their jersey number and name and stuff like that. Uh, and then we'll follow those specs and ship it back to them. Or a team like uh, the Canucks, for example, uh, they'll actually just have us buy the steel for them. So they'll send us that Excel sheet mm-hmm. with what the player uses, the type of steel, the profile, et cetera. And we'll just follow that, um, that sheet to a T, get the blades, service them, and then ship them to Vancouver so they're, they're ready for ice. 
is everybody different? Does everybody want something different done to their blades? Like there's like, you know, you go to, you know, regular, uh, you know, go to uh, buy a pair of, of skates. And one of the things they'll ask you is you want them profiled. There's usually, mm-hmm. you know, three different ways or maybe two different ways you can get them profiled at a, at a regular uh, at a regular shop. Uh, but I would imagine for NHLers, it's more than a little bit different. Um does, is it safe to say that everybody in the NHL wants their blades done just a little bit different than everybody else? Or is there sort of one standard cut for the majority of players? Yeah, it's starting to trend towards the uh, everyone being a little bit different. Um, you know, the I don't want to say the older generation, but the, the older generation of what's in the NHL today, back when they played profiling, yep. you know, played junior anyways, profiling wasn't as popular or as well known as it is today. So a lot of them still skate on, you know, relatively basic or nothing too crazy in terms of the profile. Uh, like someone like Sidney Crosby, for example, we did a bunch of work with him over the last several years and he's been skating on the same profile as he did when he was in Ramuski when he was, you know, what was that? 2005 mm. or 2004, whatever it was, he doesn't change. Yep. Uh, and, and a yep. lot of players, right. you know, hockey players specifically are creatures of habit. So they don't like to change. Uh, but nowadays, you know, the, the newer generation of players, the, the 18, 19, 20-year-olds, they're becoming more well-informed and, and know the ins and the outs more so of profiling. So they're starting to, uh, you know, like the experimentation process and fine-tuning their skate blades, which, you know, from my perspective is a lot, a lot of fun to work with and uh, really dial them into their profile, into their blades. Talking to Ty Elselman from uh, Tied in Blades. Is there, uh, and you don't have to say the plater if you don't want, but is there a pair of blades uh, with profiling uh, specifics attached to them that you look at and you say, what the heck is that? Like, I love going to, you know, to, to stick racks for teams to try to mm-hmm. find like the most unique, you know, sticks and blades and, and patterns. And I remember um, being in, in, in Buffalo and, and, uh, and talking to Ryan O'Reilly and he gave me one of his sticks and I still marvel <laughs> yeah. at it to this day. Like, how do you play with this thing? Like, is there a, a profiling or a set of blades you get from someone in the NHL that you, you look at, you look at the, you know, the, the, the specifications and you say, what the, what the heck is, how does this guy skate on these blades? Yeah, I mean, most players do skate on pretty run-of-the-mill or, you know, what I would consider a, a normal or an average profile. Uh, the one player that kind of sticks out to me and one thing that I'll probably remember forever is uh, Matt Cullen when he played for Minnesota probably maybe five years ago now. Oh, yeah? He actually skated on two blades that were different from one another, and he'd have us grind. I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was what? like seven passes off one pair on the toe and like 15 off the other, uh, and then different profiles on each. Um, and then someone like Jason Spezza too, when he was in Dallas, he would have us, you know, you'd say cross grind 42 passes on this blade and 24 on the other. So it was uh, crazy stuff like that, which I mean, what? obviously it, it works for <laughs> them and what? they succeeded. Uh, yeah. What what's the thinking behind that? I mean, that's sort of sort of. I mean, you you brought up the example of you know a running shoe and a flop when you're when you're going for a run. Uh, what, what's the thinking behind Cullen and Spezza and having you know, uh, you know, two different, essentially two different blades, one on your right foot, one on your left. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a really good question. I, I, I would love to, uh, to know the answer to that. Unfortunately, we never, uh, worked with Colin personally. We worked with his equipment manager, uh, which is what we do with, with most players. Okay. So I never actually got to talk to Matt. Um, but I would love to know what his thinking is or his, his reasoning for, uh, the different profiles, maybe different, his feet were two different sizes or two different lengths or something. But, uh, yeah, that's something that's always hmm. kind of stumped me and kind of piqued my interest. Different profiles for forwards or defense? 
so that's kind of an old school method of thought, in my opinion. More now, it's more so style okay. of play. So if you look at like an offensive defenseman, like a like a Quinn Hughes type versus a centerman, mm-hmm. um, you know, a McDavid. Both of those players have to cover a lot of ground. They're in the offensive zone. They're in the defensive zone. Straight line speed, agility is really important. So you kind of profile their blades. Uh, maybe not the same, but but very similar. Whereas you know a defenseman that's more defensive minded might want better balance, better stability for those battles in the corner, behind the net, um, and then just having overall better stability for those big uh, big shots off the blue line. Um, the other thing that I want to uh, ask you about here is uh, is kids hockey, minor hockey, youth hockey, mm. um, more so than, than ever at, at every single level. Like everybody's looking for an advantage. Everybody wants to be comfortable. It's all about, you know, speed and it's all about agility and it's all about, you know, quick turns and acceleration and, you know, not losing speed, etc. Are you finding that more and more of what you do is revolving around uh, minor hockey, youth hockey, more so than at the pro ranks? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's kind of what our mission has been uh, over the last couple of years is taking what we've done with NHL players and the services that we've offered and kind of tailoring that and bringing it to the uh, minor hockey, but not, not only minor hockey, but also the, the recreational leagues as well uh, for adults, because, you know, that's where hockey is most competitive in the minor hockey ranks. Uh, it, it's so popular. There's so many kids playing nowadays uh, and everyone's looking for that you know even if it's just a one percent advantage that they can get they're looking to uh sure. have that advantage to beat their opponent to the pucker you know beat their opponent to whatever beat them to the battle whatever the case might be so uh yeah it's really taking off in the minor hockey ranks and like i said that was kind of our inspiration mm-hmm. for especially with these instagram videos that we've been uh doing most recently those are great. And, you know, one of the things that I've been mentioning to people about, you know, the, the PWHL and women's hockey mm-hmm. in general, you know, the, as, as much as that league excels and uh, as much as women's hockey at all levels, like little girls, um, you know, uh, grown uh, professional women, you know, still picking up a stick at, you know, 30 years of age and, and starting to play, the more that the women's game grows, uh, the more healthier the entire industry is, more rinks will get built, more opportunities for everybody. And in your case, uh, I would imagine that you're that you've uh, that you've seen your business increase as more girls and women have played as well. Are there any of uh, of the women from the PWHL or elsewhere that you've been able to to work with? Yeah, yeah. Um, and on that point, over the last you know ten years of our shop being open, whenever we see people coming in the shop, you know they're seeing more and more females come in to get their skate sharp. And so obviously those numbers are are really increasing. But um, yeah, we've been lucky enough to work with. Uh, you know, a couple girls on the PWHL New York team, the Montreal team. Uh, hopefully mm. I can make some connections with with the other teams. But uh, I actually have a, a really good friend of mine who is on the uh, on the union of the uh, PW, uh, PWHL. So uh, hopefully through her, nice. I can uh, make some new connections and get into a couple more of the teams. Okay, uh, last one for you. So a hockey parent, a mom or dad comes to you with their son or daughter and asks you about, should my son or daughter have their skates profiled? Like, what's what's the pitch, Ty? What do you do? Yeah, uh, so we definitely recommend profiling for everyone. Um, I'll preface it by saying it's not a requirement to play hockey. Um, you can still play hockey yep. by just getting your skate sharpened, but it's something that we really strongly recommend. Uh, first and foremost, for, for an injury prevention standpoint, having two blades that are identical 
are is going to help reduce the mm -hmm. chance of injuries. Uh, but then, like I said, applying a more optimal amount of blade to ice contact for that specific skater uh, is going to really increase their skating performance for goalies as well. Their overall positional play, mm -hmm. uh, providing them with more balance, stability, speed, acceleration, and agility for players, and then maneuverability and power in their lateral pushes for goalies. So it's an overall performance enhancement uh, service. When you get your skates profiled, when you get your skates profiled, are you done profiling them or should you go back and get them done again? So for the person that's sharpening their skates, an average amount, and by average, I mean kind of once every 10-ish hours of skating, uh, then we recommend profiling yep. blades around three times per year. Uh, so if you're playing 12 months a year, once every four months. Uh, mm. But if you're getting your skate sharpened more or less than average, then you kind of have to adjust that recommendation a little bit. We still have plenty of, you know, rec league players that we'll see in September for their annual skate sharpening, and we won't sure. see them until next September. So a case like that, no, you don't need to get your skates profiled three times a year. But if you're sharpening your skates on a regular basis, let's say, then you're going to want to do it three times a year to maximize that profile accuracy and keep uh, keep on top of those performance benefits. That's awesome. We're up against the clock. Ty, thanks so much for stopping by. Uh, continued success with the shop. It's in Dundas, Ontario. Uh, you can find Ty online, tidenblades.ca. Ty, thanks so much for this. Much appreciated. Thanks, Jeff. There is Pleasure's everything you online. want to know about about pleasure is uh thanks so much ty for stopping by um there you go everything you want to know about profiling your blades we're up against the clock gotta go merrick's show returns tomorrow across the sportsnet radio network simulcast on sportsnet 360 go get your blades sharpened wherever you get your podcasts back tomorrow